Hello and welcome to 20,000 Leagues Under the Internet. You're listening to 20,000 Leagues Under the Internet, a podcast where three friends explore online communities of the weird and strange phenomena from the deepest depths of the internet. And everyone wanted to know which president was the true throat goat. And <laughs> okay, I do remember this. And they are all some sort of eldritch monsters of yore, right? <laughs> yes. She was also selling videos of her farting in the jar. I hate okay. this so much. I hate everything yeah. about this. Uh-huh, yeah. Captain, we've gone too far. Hello and welcome to another episode of 20,000 Leagues Under the Internet. My name is Harlan and I am going to be your captain this week as we dive, dive, dive. <laughs> Just never... trying out, hold on, you trying out <laughs> new catchphrases live? I've never done that before, I don't know what happened. Something we are live, 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 and we are going to dive, dive, dive. Welcome to... Uh, welcome, you've, you've stepped aboard the Glizzy Guzzler, our, our undersea research facility full of the world's nastiest memes. <laughs> Um, uh, join with me as always is Kyle. Uh, Kyle, go ahead and say hi. Hey, I'm really hanging in there. Yeah, we all are. Especially John, who again is not here uh, with us. He's got he, a thing going on. Because he has COVID. <laughs> he got, got it. He's got a thing going on. Yep. So, uh, uh, two of the three of us uh, have been infected. I had it. I, the funny thing with, for me was, is I remember... I recorded an episode. The next morning, I tested positive. By the next time we recorded, that was fine again. So I yeah, I didn't actually miss anything. But uh, no, no, but yeah, John's uh, on the sideline for this one. Yeah, so he's not going to be with us. Uh, God, that sounds like he died already. <laughs> he's, he's he's no longer with us. Um, but we uh, we are going to talk about some stuff. I have a quick wet market. <laughs> Um, and it is concerning some new, uh, internet slang that I came across hours before we started recording. Oh yeah. I'm curious what the fuck this is. And it, it, I, I came across it because Wait, somebody slow your roll. What? Oh, go follow us on TikTok, <laughs> Instagram, YouTube. Look, you go guys. to link tree slash 20 K leagues pod. Everything you need is there. I think there's even a link to an OnlyFans that I did start, but I cannot post to. So yeah, you have to have like your face. It does this whole thing. We talked okay. about it. Check this out, guys. Harlan and I were literally just talking before we started recording. <laughs> we were like, oh, we should fucking start recording. Probably We've been talking for like 30 minutes, but we uh we uh, don't really promote ourselves very much and uh if you like what we're doing it would it would really really be awesome if you could uh what, what do people say ring that bell smash and, that like uh, ring that, that bell like, yeah pull All that big things. pull the big giant rope in the cathedral bell go do that i'm gonna do i'm gonna do i'm gonna do one better oh i'm gonna say better I, than I, an old cathedral bell tower yeah, dude, I'm going to talk about street team. I'm going to talk about word of mouth. I'm going to talk about your friends. Flash I assume, <laughs> I assume most of the people that listen to the show have friends. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't. I mean, it's maybe, been a weird. It's been a weird two years, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have an enemy. <clears throat> yes. And you want to torture them with some like asinine toilet humor. Mm -hmm. Send them 
our podcast. I dare you. I fucking yeah. double dare you. Take to one day when you're with your friends, go open Spotify on their phone, find their favorite, <laughs> their most played playlist, and, and just start adding. No, <laughs> get rid of it. Remove just, the temptation. Just sneak an episode. Add an episode of our podcast to their favorite playlist and eventually one day it will pop on and they'll be like what the fuck <laughs> is happening why are they talking about body hair what is this <laughs> it's a great prank to play on your friends somebody did it with one of my playlists and they put the pina colada song in there like a dozen <laughs> times and it would come on That's every so once in a while and i would be like i would be at home and it would come on i would go <laughs> you fuck you you, you son, son of, of a bitch. bitch you got me again anyways um, i didn't mean to uh, ruin the wet market but no I no, no to, sorry uh, it's okay i'm getting ahead of ourselves because we have a lot to talk about on the main topic but let's get before, going. before we get into that i uh came across some internet slang uh on tiktok somebody posted a clip from an episode of hot ones that just came out with chloe kardashian uh, that's who it was and there's a there's a question that he's asking her and he is like you know uh, talking about her how organized her pantry is and he was like trying to, you know how Sean Evans gets. He's very good at asking questions and the whole setup to the question. And uh, she stops him and she goes, if you're flirting with me, this is the best flirting a man has ever done. And mm -hmm. it, like the video cut to like, you know, the, the meme of all the guys just going, oh, oh! it cuts to that. And I looked at the comments because I was like, God damn, is that? That's sick. That's a move. Just like talk about how organized a woman is. And in the comments, people were saying, oh, dude, Sean Evans is rizzed up. He's like, got that riz. And I was like, what is riz? I like and so a lot already. I found riz is a New York slang created by YouTuber and Twitch streamer Kai Sinat. It refers to a male's ability to impress women, a.k.a. game. Although it's only <laughs> just circulating on TikTok, the term has existed since at least June of 2021, um, and he's made several videos dedicated to Riz. So, hey man, sounds like he's pretty rizzed up too. Yeah, dude, he's definitely rizzed up. I'm looking at a photo of him. He's rizzed. I up. gotta say, I, I watched that episode uh, last week when it came mm -hmm. out, and boy, was I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> It was. So, she's like, "Are you fuck? Are you hitting on me right now?" Like she was like, kind of into it. And he was like, "Okay, I'm just trying to eat wings." I know his reaction at the end like, is fucking great. He's like looking around the room, like, like "What do I do? Are we about to fucking get it on?" Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. I was like pretty floored. Uh, I, I did appreciate how forward she was, and I know that it was a joke, but it was like right, I, totally. I. I really liked it. I thought it was funny. And I think it's even funnier that this is the context in where Riz fucking <laughs> reared its head to us elder millennials. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, what's this Riz? Chloe hmm, <laughs> Kardashian seems to uh, be, be getting all the Riz up in her face from Sean Put, Evans. Putting on the Riz. Am I right? Am I right? So that was our wet market catch, the Riz. No, that's not not the Riz. It's just Riz. Anyway, yeah, we sound. Uh, all the kids are saying the Riz. I mean, if you're listening, you know it's a bit. We're doing a you, bit, man. You know that I know how but, to say anthropomorphism, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also not a bit. It's, it's so. I'm doing a bit. If I, you if you say it's a bit when you know it's not, is it still a bit? 
I think the bit is me saying it's a bit. I don't think it's, I I can't actually say the word. This is, the, this is the, well, yeah, for you. But I'm talking oh, okay, about okay. being a dummy uh, elder millennials who don't right, or are just right, learning right, 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 things. Right. Um, it's a bit. Any, anyway, it's a bit. It's not a bit, but it's a bit. It's totally a bit. Is the most meta shit. It's the most annoying <laughs> meta shit ever. Okay, let's get into the main topic. Um, this week, uh, we are going to be talking about something that Kyle and I uh, hold near and dear to our hearts that exists on the internet and outside of the internet, more outside of the internet. But um, we've been talking a lot about sort of dystopic, uh, sad, depressing, feel bad uh, things that are happening on the internet with AI and uh, <laughs> anti-privacy shit. So I was like, you know what? What's something that I really like? I I, I want to talk about that's not going to make me feel icky. Mm-hmm. And so this week we're going to talk about RPG actual plays. So let's dive in. So, um, what are those words I just said? I assume that a lot of people uh, don't aren't uh, familiar with uh, you know role playing games outside of maybe World of Warcraft. Um, I mean, I'm speaking in the general population, right? Like, if you just po- stop somebody on the street and was like, "Who? What's an RPG? Or what's a TTRPG?" Right? It would be like, well, "I'm sorry, huh?" Um, so, role playing games are Dungeons and Dragons. We know Dungeons and Dragons. You've heard the the words. You've beaten um, people up over Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, there was that shitty movie from the eighties with Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I just alienated so much more of the but, listeners. <laughs> but oddly enough, has been a talking point on one of the tabletop RPG fucking actual play podcasts that I listen to almost monthly it gets that's hilarious yeah. so so this episode I, I know i preface it by saying we're talking about rpgs like as in in general but i want to focus specifically on dungeons and dragons because it is the most well-known rpg um in terms of like pop culture so mm-hmm. i know yeah. there's like warhammer and some other stuff but like dungeons and dragons right that's what most people know uh, as an rpg so Dungeons and Dragons dates back to 1974 and was created by a guy named Gary Gygax, which, by the way, the guy that created Dungeons and Dragons has a last name that sounds like a fucking Dungeons and Dragons monster, which is incredible to me. Or some sort of weapon. Yeah, exactly. The the holy Gygax. He wields the Gygax. <laughs> also, get ready for Kyle to do a whole bunch of uh, character voices in this episode. <laughs> um... It will be fun. I promise. <laughs> so, uh, Gary, uh, it was created in 1974. It was later purchased by wizards of the coast in 1997, which is another RPG publisher that was itself created in 1990. And then that was purchased in 1999 by Hasbro. So, all of these little things are all now owned by Hasbro. Yeah, Hasbro is always like the fucking corporate, like, what's up we made the game of life yeah like they're, they're, they're <laughs> like whatever. what they're like what like apple to technology is to like uh fantasy sci-fi role-playing i will basically also say at this point the name hasbro is hilarious to me because it's like you just want a friend you has bro <laughs> like and you're gonna play these nerdy games to try to find friends you're not <laughs> hasbro has, has bros has no bro <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, so, uh, actual play, which is 
basically watching or reading about other people playing games which on the surface because we're talking about dungeons and dragons sounds super fucking nerdy but you have to also take into consideration if you're listening and you're thinking that it sounds really nerdy like there's streamers on twitch there are remember when esports was like a huge i mean it still is but when esports was like a big thing like it's it's no different than that basically because it's rooted in magazine play reports um of old war games and then it moved on to like internet forums that were dedicated to role-playing games what and is then, a magazine play do you know do you have, do a you have play like, report yeah what is that i didn't go into that much detail because yeah, yeah there was sure. so much other stuff I, but that that <clears throat> that i put a little flat i'm flagging that i'm gonna kyle's uh, kyle's <clears throat> gonna look up ebay for old war game play reports <laughs> i'm just curious like see what kind of writers were yeah what, what they oh were yeah I, i'm sure it's super interesting i mean i recently watched like a history of like violence the development starring vigo mortensen and it's fantastic <laughs> i mean a history of violence i mean could be an alternate title to like a D documentary <laughs> yeah totally sorry I didn't um keep going but yeah, I, I watched a, a documentary about like first edition D&D and I and like it was all manuals. It was all paperback books. And I'm sure it was like the same thing where like these weekly newsletters would go out. You would like mail in, buy them and like subscribe to them. And they would be like little black and white things that had play reports, uh, I assume. But mm-hmm. anyway, that moved on to the Internet. And then obviously, like I was saying, the emergence of esports, live streaming, um, actual play, TTR, TTRPG, which is tabletop role-playing game became popular when podcasts started coming out and also just as web series. Um, and it contributed to like the resurgence of TTRPGs in the 2010s. It's kind of wild. It it, like immediately makes me think of like, um, uh, Frank Herbert who wrote Dune. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. talking about Dune again. Here's the thing. Uh, the second book, uh, Messiah, Dune Messiah, came out like so. Dune one was out, yeah, it was being read, whatever. But it wasn't the the tour de force that we know it as today. Like it wasn't right. as widely accepted. So Messiah was released monthly uh, in chunks oh. in a in a magazine. Wasn't Lord of the Rings kind of like that too? Initially? Oh, I don't know. That that would make sense though, because or the it's Hobbit like, maybe it's like finding a way to disseminate a story, like a a story like over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what podcasts that are doing these kind of things are like emulating in a way, obviously yeah. on a more rapid basis, like a weekly basis more than likely, but well, and if you really think about it too, like what are, what are role-playing games and dungeons and dragons aside from just uh, improvised storytelling, right? Like you're, it's no different than the Hobbit or what Frank Herbert was doing where they're releasing. They're like, Oh, I wrote this part. I'm going to publish that. Right. It's exactly. the same thing. It's Weekly. A, you're telling a chapter. A however. Yeah, exactly. You're playing the chapters yeah. with dungeons and dragons, and then you're disseminating that to your artists, creating a whole entire world and all this stuff and characters. So it's not really that much different. You're just rolling dice while you're mm-hmm. doing it to determine where this story goes. Um, <clears throat> so in 2008, the creators of Penny Arcade, which is one of the longest running web comics that was focused on video games and gaming culture, partnered with Wizards of the Coast to create a podcast of a few fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons adventures, which led to the creation of the Acquisitions Incorporated podcast. Um, now I said fourth edition, which is the fourth version of Dungeons and Dragons for mm-hmm. people who are unaware. I don't want to, I really don't want to alienate 
people in this episode by talking about some of this stuff because I know a lot of people tune out when it comes to like role playing games and if there's one thing I love is the fucking details of this shit. So I will interrupt you and I will make sure that we are making get everyone on the same page, baby. Uh, honestly, no shade to John, but like I feel like John <laughs> would have felt so like out of place, like third wheel in this conversation in this episode. I mean, um, he would have had fun, but he'd be like just going like this lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, let's sure. see after. After that podcast was well received, the players began to live stream the game starting in 2010 at the uh, Penny Arcade Expo, also known as PAX Festival. Uh, Acquisitions Incorporated went on to be described by Inverse in 2019 as the longest running live play game. I hmm. assume in existence because they started in 2008. Yeah, they're the basically. Yeah, so... Um, uh, so that's just kind of like where the Dungeons and Dragons actual play stuff started, right? That's, that's our baseline. It's a long, that's a big baseline. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is because there are a lot of factors that I think led to this increase in people playing, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and doing actual play podcasts and, like shows on YouTube and Twitch and other independent mm-hmm. uh, platforms, which is the release of fifth edition. And uh, so fifth edition came out in January of 2012. Uh, Wizards of the coast announced that it was a new edition of the game uh, at the time being referred to as D and D next. Um, and in direct contrast to previous editions of the game, D and D next was developed partly via a public open play test. So they had never done that before. And I assume uh, like the internet probably helped them well, do that. Yes. Fourth edition was received very mixed. So they didn't, which <laughs> yeah. of the coast was like, uh, well, <laughs> let's fix this. We're losing, yeah. we're bleeding players. Yeah. Let's listen to the players, etc. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and so an early build of the new edition debuted in, uh, at two, the 2012 Dungeons and Dragon experience event to only about 500 fans, which that see, I mean, living in 2022, that number seems wildly low for Dungeons and Dragons involvement. But, right. Sure. Uh, it, it was a different. It was a different time. <laughs> um, now, for for all the people who like D and D, I want to go over some of the mechanics that were changed, just basically for you guys. I, I, it, for anybody that's interested and has ever played D and D, this might be helpful in understanding. I think where I'm coming from in terms of like the popularity that came with fifth edition, because overall they simplified it and made it more streamlined, right? So skills, weapons, items, saving throws, and other things that characters are trained in now all use single proficiency bonuses that increase as a character level increases. I don't know what it was like before Kyle, you might have a better idea of how that stuff sort of worked. I can like, uh, speak to gamers when I say this. 5e is skyrim and third edition and be- before that is oblivion and morrowind i would think you were gonna say morrowind yeah yeah like basically <clears throat> skyrim gets a lot of flack for simplifying a lot of um <clears throat> skyrim by bethesda uh the fifth installment of elder scrolls the elder scrolls series very very popular rpg um 
is criticized only basically because it simplified a lot of the amazing systems that were a little chunky, uh, uh, what's the word, crunchier, uh, right. that existed that were a little more maybe rewarding, uh, but they could alienate and, you know, cut off like new blood essentially. Skyrim's greatest success is that it's now been re, it's been out for 10 years and it's been re released on every possible yeah. platform a million times over because it's super fucking accessible yeah so skyrim like 5e really brought the rpg to like the ttrpg in the case yeah. of 5e to the, to the public household yeah to like yeah to everybody yeah. so while <clears throat> you might be missing some of those uh crunchier things from third edition like i am uh you have to just appreciate the accessibility to get all your other friends down yeah. this fucking rabbit hole with you, which, which is something that we'll touch on a little later. Um, but continuing with some of these mechanics, multiple defense values were removed, returning to a single defense value armor class and using more traditional saving throws. Saving throws are reworked to be situational checks based on six core abilities instead of generic D 20 rolls. Feats are now optional uh, and they can uh, be taken instead of ability score increases advantage and disadvantage mechanic was introduced which i didn't know was in fifth edition that was a brand new thing uh which streamlined conditional situational modifiers uh let's see uh the power system in fourth edition was replaced uh clerics druids paladins and wizards prepared known spells using slightly modified versions of the spells uh preparation healing surges are replaced by hit dice requiring a character to roll a hit die during a short rest instead of a healing flat rate of of hit points so this this was all very interesting for me as someone who's only played fifth edition uh to find out like wow a lot of this stuff that's in fifth edition is brand fucking new um and it wasn't around before um but is so, also kind of considered a standard now for other systems like yeah totally other systems <clears throat> borrow from these ideas of 5e which is funny because again like 5e came out like officially in like 2014 i know like it hasn't not, been around it's not that long yeah no um so that's sort of what was streamlined and changed uh to like we were saying make it more accessible and like it makes sense right you're a business you need in order to survive and sustain as a business you kind of have to not I don't want to say pander, but you have to listen to your core audience, right? Your core demographic and your clients, <laughs> your customers. And so they did that. And it was a huge boon for Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. Um, but like I said, the thing I want to talk about mainly are like the popularity, which involves some of the shows that exist. And I'm going to talk about, I think it's one, two, three, four, four for the more famous uh shows that exist right now um uh but before that so one of the long-running campaign podcasts uh started in 2009 it was called critical hit and they were using fourth edition uh and nerd poker which had people like comics at the time like brian posein and Patton oswalt on uh and that started in 2012 they were initially running second edition, then they switched to fourth, and then they went back to second edition, I assume because of how broken <laughs> bad fourth edition was. It's funny because if you've played second edition, you know <laughs> you know how ridiculous that statement is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they've been building their fan base for like a, a decade or more. In Harlan, some, can I ask you if, if you've come up? across the term Thacko? Uh, yes, I have. Okay, cool. 
I can't remember. It was in that documentary it's, I watched. It's, uh, it's two hit armor class zero. Yeah. It's like and I was so fucking way, confused. <laughs> the asinine way we used to calculate if it was a hit or not. And your armor class was, you're working to go negative instead of higher. I, like, I already am like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, I see that. And this is the thing. Like <laughs> I want to, I want to tell people listening who are maybe about to tune out. If you already have, sorry, I, there's a part of me that is right there with you in terms of some of the crunchier aspects of mechanics in, in stuff like this. It's one of the reasons why, like, I will never play Warhammer 40 K. I will net fuck that. Like never get into it. There's too much happening. There's even some video games where I'm like, I, I, I don't have the time to learn all this. I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like I'm in school sometimes. There's, so there's, there's a game for everybody right now. Yes. 5e is, <clears throat> is if you, if anyone is remotely interested in a t- TTRPG, 5e is your, is yeah. your jam. Yeah. Get in it's there. great. Yeah. Um, and it will unlock so many creative it's ideas. In very your head. easy to get into. Yeah. Uh, so that's a strength baby. So those two podcasts are probably some of the longest running actual plays that exist. Um, let's see. Uh, but I think some of the other ones that um, helped, aside from 5e being released, some of the podcasts that helped bring Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs and this improvisational storytelling to a broader audience are things like Critical Role, The Adventure Zone, Dimension 20, and Glass Cannon. Um, because, and these are all some of our favorite RPGs that we listen to and critical role is the first one I want to talk about because they didn't start until 2015. So this is a year after fifth edition came out. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, run by a voice actor, a very well known outside of D and D voice actor named Matt, Matt Mercer. It's high noon. He's, he's an incredible DM. Uh, and it started initially as, a uh, let's see, it was just them playing D and D. Um, and, uh, let's see the show got to start when the staff of Felicia days, gaming and pop culture website, geek and sundry yeah, learned about a weekly D and D gathering in Los Angeles, featuring a group of popular voice actors, Matt Mercer and like seven or eight other people, uh, among them, uh, geek and sundry reached out uh, about broadcasting the campaign on its Twitch channel. And after that, they switched from playing pathfinder to five E to simplify the gameplay for a viewing audience. What's so silly is uh, at this time in my life, I was I put my eggs in the wrong basket, apparently. <laughs> I was trying to become a professional musician, mm-hmm. and I really should have just been embracing my geeky roots and joining this renaissance from yeah. the beginning. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, what it's the what- fuck? <laughs> Even when you were in a band, I think everyone was like, there's no way you're going to make this professionally. Look at all the fucking bands in san francisco that are coming out playing the same old psych rock music not even that it's like oh four white dudes in a band have you guys heard of band of horses like <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're fucking playing there's no appeal yeah you're, it's just it's there's nothing there there's nothing there it doesn't matter how good you are no so um i mean it, it matters who you know or if you're a famous uh, son of someone sure, sure. you yeah, would have made it then <laughs> i wish i was a famous son <laughs> <laughs> i i have a quote here from i have a quote here from matt mercer and he says it wasn't something we initially were looking to do but we agreed from that point critical role was kind of uh has kind of become this unexpected phenomenon 
Um, he has done voice work in video games such as Overwatch, Destiny 2, and Star Wars Battlefront, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to just point out that the, if, if, if any podcast was going to take it, you have to have the right marketing and branding. Yep. Critical Role is the perfect fucking name. Yeah. R-O-L-E. Yes. Just so it's everyone a play, knows. It's a whole thing. Criticals are a thing. Roles are a thing in both ways. It's just like... Yeah. Acting and, also, and playing. It's like you... you, you in the, t- in the uh, case of their name, which is R-O-L-E, it's like you. each player has a critical a role, role to play. To play it's yeah. like just well it's done. It's so fucking it's good. So it's, good. <laughs> it pisses me off so goddamn much. It's, it's so good. <laughs> So uh, that's just a brief little back uh, uh, history of Critical Role. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is Adventure Zone, which is what I was how I was introduced to D anD. Um, it debuted in the summer of 2014 uh, with the newly released 5e starter set featuring the McElroy brothers, who, if that name sounds familiar, are the hosts of My Brother, My Brother and Me, one of the largest fucking podcasts in the world. Like, yeah, <clears throat> and. Back when uh, you had to see. listen to podcasts on an iPod. Yeah, you couldn't get them anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, the Let's see, the first... Uh, so they started playing with their dad, Clint. The first of these recordings were initially released as an experimental My Brother, My Brother and Me episode entitled The Adventure Zone. A play on their other segment, which was called The Money Zone, which is where they read their advertisements. So this was supposed to be... The Adventure Zone. Yes, exactly. Um, And so that episode debuted August 18th of 2014 to cover for Justin's paternity leave. Justin's one of the brothers. He had a child. Starting uh, that December, The Adventure Zone was then expanded into its own podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, releasing bi-weekly. Griffin McElroy served as the show's primary host and dungeon master for the the show's first campaign, later titled Balance. The campaign concluded, uh, which this is hilarious to me and very on brand for the McElroy brothers. The campaign concluded with episode 69 in August of 2017. It it has uh, featured several other TTRPG systems since. And as of 2021, it received over 6 million monthly downloads. So that's wild. The thing that sets these two apart, and, and this will be a recurring theme between all of these podcast that I've picked for us to talk about briefly is they all play D and D very differently, which is another thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is something that can happen within D and think the majority of people, when they hear D and D, they hear dorky nerd fantasy stuff with minifigs and battle maps. Uh, and, Sorry, uh, that's not M a N Y F I G S like the, the fruit. No, we're talking, <laughs> Miniature, no, miniature, figs. miniature figurines, miniature figurines. Ah, we sit <laughs> with our mini figs <laughs> and devour them. That's so stupid. So, so I think people think that that's kind of that's like the the entirety of how Dungeons and Dragons is played. It's like all high fantasy, right? But like. Depending on who's running it and who you're playing with, there are so many different themes and so many different styles. Like you can do that grim dark shit where it's just like, ugh, fantasy. Or you can do like more whimsical stuff, like how the Adventure Zone worked. Like it wasn't all doom and gloom. It was pretty like lighthearted to a certain extent and had its own 
it evoked its own like emotion and feeling and style. And mm-hmm. all of these do that. They're all so wildly different, which is not to like gush too much about D and D, but that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this episode about it. But like, that's one of the best things about dungeons and dragons or any RPG like really is you can kind of take the rule book and go, eh, I'm going to like take some of it, but I want to yeah. play it how I want to play it. And that's incredible. It's more about it should it should be, and this this came up recently um, in something that I think, I don't know if Harlan, if you ended up watching it or how much of it you watched, but I was watching. Uh, some of the guys from Glass Cannon were talking about, I think it's called OSRs. Yeah, that came up in this, uh, but I can't remember what it is. So it's uh, what it is, is um, the, the original idea of TTRPGs actually had very little rules. I think it's called old school rule systems is what OSRs is. Old school the, revival. Yeah, yeah, old school revival. So basically, it's the idea that less is more, and right. you go and you play this game, you're role-playing, you're experiencing this shared narrative together, and when you have to revol- resolve something, uh, you have rules to fall back on when you need it. It's like right. a rules backseat kind of thing versus Interesting. games nowadays. Well, like third and fourth edition of D&D were rules very front seat. D&D right now is like it's a, a soccer mom kind of van and the rules are in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's a backseat like driver. <laughs> kind yeah. of leaning over the dash every once in a while. Be but like, eh, check engine lights on. We might want to stop. <laughs> exactly. But the DM can be like, get back there. You can't touch me. I'm well, still yeah. driving. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, and that is ignoring the check engine light for another yeah, yeah, 10,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. miles. <laughs> so OSR shit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really. Yeah the rules are there they're they're there for your interpretation they're there to help guide you but really when it comes down to it it's your game play it the way you want to play it yeah um so the other uh the other popular one i want to talk about which is my favorite is dimension 20 um it debuted in 2018 with a show called fantasy high as a production of dropout which is college or i get yeah technically it's still college humor college College humor. humor streaming service uh, and it was among one of the new shows listed for the service when it was first unveiled. So 2018, they launched this streaming platform where it would have Dimension 20. It would have some of their other like sketch comedy things and other incredible shows that are not D&D related. If you support, if you like independent comedy, go over there and plug in Dropout. It's $5 a month. It's, it's fucking crazy. Bu- it's five bucks and there's just so much stuff. You will yeah. laugh. You will laugh. You will laugh. Um, you will laugh. You will I, I, I highly recommend Total Forgiveness as a must watch from them. Um, yes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so that started in 2018. The You're DM- welcome, Dropout. We just, <laughs> we just solved their check. subscriber problem. <laughs> Sam Reich, where's my check, you fuck? <laughs> um, I know you're good for it. Your dad is Robert good. Reich. So uh, that one is DM'd by Brennan Lee Mulligan, and who cited a number of existing tabletop shows as inspiration for Dimension 20, including Not Another D&D Podcast, The Adventure Zone, and Critical Role. The format for that show was uh, distinct, uh, is that it has distinct arcs, based on different settings and is composed mostly of improvisational comedians and comedy writers. Um, Episodes of fantasy high sophomore year, which was the follow-up to their first one were streamed live on Twitch, as opposed to the pre-recorded edited and uploaded uh, versions that would go to dropout, which I only point out because critical role 
was a full-on live stream. There were no cuts. There were no edits. It's If you go watch mm-hmm. the episodes on YouTube, it's literally just like static panels of the DM and all the players. There's not a lot of flash when it comes to the editing or post-production, which is one of the things that sets Dimension 20 apart, and I think why it's as popular, um, maybe not as popular as like Critical Role, but it's up there in terms well, I mean, of... What is, though? Uh, yeah, which we will get to later because it's fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. Critical Role blows my mind, their fan base. Mm-hmm. But Dimension 20, again, to talk to sort of talk about how there's different ways to play D&D, there are different ways to produce it, too. And it creates a totally different experience. Um, and uh, sometimes for the better, maybe some people would disagree, whatever. Um, so. Uh, they did. Oh, the other thing why I wanted to point that out is the funny thing about them doing the live second season of Fantasy High is that there are no cuts and you would never tell the difference between the live ones and the edited episodes. That's how good I think those players it's a and Brennan. Thing. Yeah. And Brennan is as a DM to because I'm watching Critical Role's Calamity with Brennan just to see it's like the only way I can watch critical role. Sorry. But, um, there are so many points in those streams where there is lull and the silence and people are, it feels like sometimes they're like, okay, what do I do? And, and in dimension twenties live, none of that fucking exists, which is just uh, commendable on the part of the role players. Right. For sure. And there's also the argument of like, well, I mean, this, this is why this is, this is why this is so, awesome it's so fucking sick dude because there's something for literally everybody yeah the the main podcast i listen to as an example is 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 supposed the the whole their whole ethos is it's supposed to feel like you're sitting around the table hanging around with them and there are plenty of lulls there's plenty of tangents they are not solely focused on what is happening in the game 100% of the time yeah which drives a lot of people crazy but it's what i like because it's almost like i'm you know they're hanging out with them so there's that's like how critical these, role is too and that's it's how like, critical role is yeah yeah it, they want it to feel like you're watching friends play a game of dungeons and dragons yeah so but there's like the the element of like is this going to be a, a show where we're 100 percent focused is this a thing where we're literally just right the cameras are rolling and we're dicking around like yeah. and it, all those things are turn-offs and turn-ons for people, but there's so many options yeah there are exactly so, and we're only talking really about 5e right now there's so many yeah this well is probably one of the deepest wells that we we will never be able to talk about are you everything. tired of television <laughs> well boy have i got a drug for you fucking <laughs> dungeons and dragons i don't even listen to music anymore because i need to listen to dd only <laughs> it's so funny you bring that up i literally when it comes to music at this point, I have a playlist of a bunch of oldies, like 60s, <laughs> 70s pop, and then I have like three or four albums that are on repeat when I'm not listening to D&D. Yeah. It, it's, it changes your life. It does. It does. In a, in a really great way, though. In a great way, yes. So uh, he got a lot of inspiration from those other things. Uh, they did that. The season concluded. I, I, I do want to just raise this. I wonder if, because he cites Adventure Zone. Mm-hmm. And then they've since collaborated later. Yeah. Um, but I want, I do wonder if the adventure zone is the reason why D20 and uh, dimension 20, it was greenlit at all. 
I think, I mean, I know Brennan Lee Mulligan was hired on to college humor way before they did dimension 20 as a writer initially. And then as a cast member, maybe he was like, I have he, an idea. He pitched it 100%. Yeah, Cause yeah, okay, Brennan cool. Lee Mulligan with a lot of these, uh, maybe not so much the McElroy's, but with a lot of these DMS, they've played D and D like their entire lives. Like Brennan Lee Mulligan ran initially volunteered at a LARP camp when he was a teenager. <laughs> cool. Eventually it got to the point where the people that could not run it were like Brennan. He was like in his teens. Like, I don't even think he was 17 yet. And they were like, <laughs> do you want to just run this place? So it was a teen, two teenagers or like him and his friends who were teenagers running a summer camp for a bunch of preteens <laughs> and they awesome. were like the boss. So like he is, has a long history of LARPing and RPGs and writing his own I think he did an interview with his mom on the last uh, season of dimension 20. Uh, his mom is like a writer and she writes uh, uh starstruck odyssey, which is a comic book. And she, they like do a t- they do like a talk back with her. And she's like, yeah, the first um, time you played D and D you were like eight years old and you were writing campaigns when you were eight years old. Yeah. 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 So a lot of these people have this, this long history of D and D and it's now it's their time. And yeah, now they're some of the best DMS in the world, yeah. which didn't, I didn't even know could be a job, which is crazy. I want to, I want to see like the DMS league where they all meet in like a- <laughs> yeah. DMS of the world combine. <laughs> Um, so that final season that they streamed, uh, concluded, uh, literally, I think the last two episodes they had to do from home because it was happening as Uh, COVID was, uh, it was like literally March or February. And so they had to do them remotely on zoom. Um, and the final one I have here is the glass cannon. Obviously Kyle, you're more familiar with some of the history and the people involved in this, but just quickly, they play Pathfinder, uh, which is uh, owned or created by Paizo, right? Paizo Publishing? Yeah, and it's just an offshoot of uh, D&D 3rd Edition, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the first episode of that was released also in 2015. Uh, it started as the idea of Troy Lavalley, who is the DM. And it happened when he was getting back into stand-up comedy and he was listening to some RPG podcasts. And he just so happened to sample Nerd Poker, which is one of the first ones we talked about, and Mm -hmm. also the Adventure Zone. He said during this time, he (laughs) thought, my gaming group is way funnier than this, and we play the game at such a higher level. Why the hell aren't we doing a podcast? He's such a dick. I love it. He's such Uh, an ass. (laughs) Geek Geek and Sundry reviewed it as one of the best tabletop uh, podcasts. Forbes also described it as engaging in body, but not for kids. (laughs) definitely not also i love that i love that that's a quote from troy being like we're way funnier than all these other people doing it let's fucking do it yeah professional comedians yeah exactly here's the fucking funny thing about glass cannon there is a character there's a character sorry a player a contributor on their on their network named by the name of matthew capitacaza and he is he doesn't drink the kool-aid the same way everyone else does where they all get high on each other's fumes and it's really hilarious but he he constantly calls people out he's like i don't know anyone else who hypes themselves up as much as you guys do (laughs) and it's true because they through that self-hype they have built this empire which you know we can talk about or not talk about but like it's hilarious that there's one dude on their crew that's like 
you guys are fucking asshats. Well, and, and again, like at the end of the day, all of these different podcasts, whether it's the ones we mentioned or other ones, it, it is that thing of like, they are a brand like, and every brand is going to cater yeah. to a different demographic of people and they all do that. And that again, it just speaks to the power of something like this type of storytelling. And what you can do with it and how you can approach it, especially as a DM who's like, we're f- we're the best. Fuck all those other ones. <laughs> while secretly, I actually really like them and they're really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I take a lot of inspiration from yeah, them. There's the outward persona versus the insecurity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, totally. uh, there's another. Uh, let's see. Uh, so newer actual play podcasts, kind of like what we've been saying, have redefined what D&D looks like. Um, with comedy and personality, meaning just as much as the campaign is storytelling. I mentioned like things like the difference between something that's like grimdark versus like whimsical rules light, or even like straight up just satire, like parody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nathan Stewart, who is the senior director of Dungeons and Dragons, says over half of the new people who started playing fifth edition got into D&D through watching people play online. Matthew Mercer, there's another quote, says role-playing games are just an organic, improvised space for storytelling. And this is where I want to get into the popularity. If it's not already clear why this has become so popular, there's a lot of factors at play here. One of them being the interactivity of live streams like Critical Role, where viewers can comment as it's playing in real time. They can pose questions and they can affect, in some cases, the course of the gameplay that create and it creates this really uniquely addictive viewing experience, right? It's part game show, it's part talk show, it's part fantasy adventure serial. Yeah, can uh, you imagine watching your favorite fucking TV show and being able to like <laughs> watching type? Friends and be like, Joey's at it again? <laughs> yeah, but if it was if it was like a a live show and like you're like able to text or like type with everybody, because like, people do this with live tweeting when they're like, I'm gonna live tweet the fucking release of whatever. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing, except that you're actually interacting and the players may Can see it. see. Yeah. And interact or uh, react to what you're saying. Yeah. And and change the course of the story. Yeah. So it's also, I think, gained a lot of popularity because it's it's also common for gamers who get hooked on these series to begin broadcasting their own campaigns. You know, it's an outlet for aspiring performers who don't necessarily have a clear path to Mm -hmm. traditional media. Like if you want to be an actor or you want to be a voice actor or you want to like be a prop master, like you can go do that with your friends playing Mm D&D. Obviously, there's some money that might be involved in some of those things. But I mean, relatively, you can get a decent camera for a couple hundred bucks, decent mics for less than that. And hook it up to your computer and fucking just start playing games on Twitch. Um, Mercer specifically says there are a lot, there aren't a lot of entertainment based mediums, the visual or recorded mediums that empower the audience to go off the next day and create it themselves. You can't watch a movie or a show and the next day say, I want to go make that. You have to go to school. People watch these shows and think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, and that is so much of the world outside of D&D that we live in, too. I mean, we're doing a podcast. We started out yeah. with the cheapest fucking mics that we could for the same bucks, reason dude. to just, like, hang out with each other. You can do the same thing. If you want to add some rules, hey, you got D&D. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally it. If it's you actually, think you can do it. It's pretty wild. I had to, like, I had to describe 
D&D to someone who is uninitiated recently because I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go see a, a live D&D show. It wasn't D&D, but whatever. Uh, we went and saw Glass Cannon live in San Francisco recently. Yeah. And I was telling someone and they were like, wait, I'm so confused. <laughs> what are you going to do? Aren't they going to be sitting? I think they, in, in their mind, they were going to be on stage with their backs to us around like a table or something. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're like, how are you going to enjoy that? I was like, no, 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 no. This is basically, it's their live show. It's different than their normal show. It, they're basically just making dick jokes, but with a rule set. Yeah. I, don't know how to, I was like, I don't know how to describe it otherwise. They're, <laughs> like, they're pretending to be other people. <laughs> And also, though, like breaking character and making yeah. dick jokes, but also following rules and a plot that's being also made up sometimes on the spot, but sometimes not. And then there's like maps and stuff. And also DMX is there. I don't know. Yeah. Don't, don't. Yeah. And then there's like other weird meta shit that happens where they just drop a fucking beat out of nowhere and everyone's supposed to get it. Exactly. <clears throat> so, um, you know, as a result of all of this, you get this vast ecosystem of live play series that populate YouTube and Twitch, and the total unique hours of D&D live play content on Twitch has doubled every year Whoa, since 2015. That's a wild fucking stat. Yeah. So Holy Dungeons and the Dungeons and Dragons team is aggressively investing in the scene as well, filling its official Twitch channel with more than 50 weekly hours of live play programming either produced or sponsored by Wizards of the Coast. Whoa. Uh, Nathan Stewart, the senior director of D&D, says, quote, a year ago, we probably had two shows we'd put on Twitch. Now it's more than like 20. Fuck. Yeah. So there's a huge, which, I mean, you could feel one way or the other about saturating the market, you know, with this, but I think on the whole, this is still such a small niche. I'm for it, dude. Oh, 100% I am too. But I know there are gatekeepers out there that are like, well, if everyone likes it, then it's not my favorite thing anymore. It's like, fuck off. I used to be that way in a a little bit because uh, I don't know. It's like you have like a weird chip on your shoulder, or at least maybe it's just a mental problem I have (laughs) about shit I like, and I want it to be unique to me. I I have to say, I I am so happy that Dungeons and Dragons has become a cultural phenomenon yeah like what it is like the more people i remember remember the first time i experienced this really was like when star wars was getting rebooted to do the force awakens Uh and i had this moment where i was like oh my bum that like more people are going to get into star wars and i was like (laughs) no wait this is sick you know what's uh, obviously those movies suck. <laughs> I, I was just gonna but, say it's funny how things have changed well, since all, all of them come out. It's like, man, this really does suck. Actually, I don't yeah. want more people to watch Star Wars. They all are toxic as shit. But you know what I mean, though. It was like this yeah, thing totally, of like, this initially. is my precious thing that, and it came down to of like, well, if it's popular, that means I get more of it myself too. Yeah, so, totally. And now, <clears throat> so I've I've completely let go of that uh, that part of myself, and I'm just super down to be for people to be for things to become popular as long as the right people are holding the reins mm-hmm. you can find a piece of it that you like so yeah i, yeah, I, that's I love it. it 
and it's not to say that all of it's going to be good. No. <laughs> as, cr- we're, as we're about to find out. That's a crazy ourselves. thing to think that, that you know, it's all going to be good. But, like, I don't think that's a uniquely Kyle experience either. Like, every I did that when I was a teenager. When it's it came to music and shit. rock. Yeah, it's like a weird it's, ownership it, it of is, pride. Like, weird. It is punk rock, but it's also so not punk rock it's at the fucking, same time. It's It's like... It's it's a weird it's like childish. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It is very childish. I think it is. I it, that is the the best way. Share to your love. It. Yes, exactly. Get more people to like what you yeah. like, and then you'll be happier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, you'll be happier. So this comes down to well, this doesn't come down to, but this is this brings me to the next part of this story, which is the user experience too, because there are lots of resources that exist now because of the internet that people can use to get into things like D and D, right? So D and D beyond, I, I'm basically just going to talk about D and D beyond I, because there's so many other things that I, we can't get into there's no way. Yeah. So D and D beyond, uh, was a website that was launched in 2017. It was later acquired in 2018 by fandom. Um, in 2020, Adam Bradford, vice president of the tabletop gaming at fandom told sci-fi wire that D and D beyond's normal number of new users had doubled in the past two weeks during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that there was also a similar increase in the number of active users, um, so D and D beyond basically is a all in one source for everything D and D five E related. Basically it's a repository. It's the player's handbook. It's the monster manual it's store. It's, it's the store. It's your character sheet. It's, it's everything. I literally, uh, been, like I have care. I've played five E campaigns where, um, the DM is required that we use, um, uh, D and D beyond. And it's awesome because you can, you can have all the character sheets stored alongside a campaign. So the DM always has access to, you know, the character yeah. sheets and everything. Like you, you can share things between characters. You can, it, it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty incredible. It's pretty um, cool. the, the user interface is relatively simple to use. So again, it all just comes down to ease of use and, and why what being one of the factors, why this, explosion has happened literally since 2015 like 2015 was the year dnd was like here we go um and so dnd beyond the pandemic had a lot to do with people being bored at home finding this through podcasts or twitch or youtube and then finding dnd beyond because i think if you search it's like it's like top search results for anything dnd at this point so of course they're gonna get the most traction and get these people to start using their service in uh, 2020, the Wall Street Journal reported that, quote, Bradford said the number of registered users had tripled in the past month and the number of online players at any one time has doubled on average. The uptake has forced the company to accelerate the expansion of its infrastructure, which otherwise would have taken place months from now. In 2022, two months ago, Hasbro announced again, here's ha- big daddy Hasbro with all the money <laughs> yeah. shows up and they acquired D and D beyond for $146 million. Um, uh, they absorbed uh, Hasbro into wizard of the coast. So now it's all one thing. It's all yeah. c- centralized, localized. 
Uh, Polygon highlighted that Wizards of the Coast is a large portion of Hasbro's overall earnings since the launch of the uh, fifth edition, uh, with an operating profit of $547 million in 2021. Uh, Wizards' business business unit accounted for 72% of Hasbro's operating profit for the year. Baby. Yeah, they reportedly have close to 10 million users right now. Um, So some of these other online resources are things like Roll20, which is like a map maker, essentially. Uh, Hero Forge, which is a character builder that you can then purchase 3D printed minifigs, not the fruit. (laughs) Uh, incarnate is a, a one that I really enjoyed using, which was a map maker sirenscape, which is for audio stuff, yeah, like uh, music, sound effects, etc. Hero lab is a sort of all encompassing, uh, character builder, but it also includes other TTRPGs. Yeah, it's like community funded or like a fueled content sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And then there's also Tailspire, which is one of the newer ones, which is like a fully 3d, a world building map which maker. looks insane i want to kind of mess around with it a little bit it's it's super insane and uh hero forge plugs directly into it so you can take your minifigs oh shit that's drop really them cool. right into the three-dimensional tailspire maps that you make um <clears throat> so again i mentioned like you know the D- uh covid thing at, at in 2019 or 2020 things were pretty fucked <laughs> and dnd is an incredible way to escape from the dark dystopian timeline that we have now descended into. Um, even somebody that, uh, I would never assume would have anything to do with D and D John's wife, cat. I messaged her on Instagram. She posted something about dungeons and dragons. And I was like, Oh shit. Are you going to make a character? And she was like, I don't know. Should I, is it fun? Is it cool? And I was like, fuck yeah, it is. Go make a fucking character in D and D beyond and just kill hours of time not yeah. thinking about how awful the real world is exploring the fantasy of this uh idea yeah, yeah. the other big thing uh which is where we will uh, most likely end this uh episode i know we might go over a little bit but is the inclusive nature of D. Which I was like, um, I was like, how we waited this long to talk about it? This is like the thing. <clears throat> this is the thing, right? Uh, well, it's the thing for some people and for the other user, people. not for Hasbro. Oh, maybe <laughs> it kind of feeds into what Hasbro needs, but well, it it's more about the gatekeepers that we mentioned earlier, uh, not really being about this inclusivity. Uh, but Nathan Stewart, again, the senior director of D&D, said, quote, we're trying to show a pretty diverse group of people playing D&D. It's a value of the company. We want people to feel accepted and welcome in our groups. Uh, so their docket of shows includes things like Dragon Friends, which is this is literally a quote of the description, a show where a bunch of sorry a show where a bunch of idiot australian comedians muddle their way through a dungeons and dragons campaign amazing (laughs) and girls guts glory which uh a lot uh which in which a lot of time is spent drinking wine eating food and catching up before we even start playing um stewart stewart is hoping to eventually launch a live play series entirely in spanish and german as well that'd be that's awesome. German D and D. Holy shit. It exists. It, it's just not on a commercialized podcast yet. No, I know. But like just the German language, listening yes. to them play D and D these like fantasy characters sounds like Rammstein without music. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sounds awesome. So, in addition to the demographic diversity, curating a channel with something for everyone also means seeking out different types of gameplay. Uh, another quote from Stewart, he says, Some people like the DMs who are tough and challenging and put them on death's door. Others who do a good job reading the table and making sure everyone has fun. Orion Black, who is the creative director of Dimension 20 now, he is a non-binary, agender person of color, was introduced to tabletop RPGs in high school, but quickly realized that at the time that D&D was a white male-dominated space, and it still is, um, but to not that I don't say mean that as a good thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. Just keep doing things. <laughs> <laughs> don't take that out of context. That's not yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't think it came across that way. Okay, and it I, still is. <laughs> no, so, no, no. <laughs> um, but Black is one of many creators who is one reshaping those games and the mm-hmm. spaces where people play uh, them into a safer, more inclusive space by uh, uh, better representing the genre's growing diverse audience and are more welcoming to people who want to learn to play. Which, in anything. Any arena where you are playing or it's a participatory thing, there will always be people. I mean, when I was a skateboarder, I was terrified to go to a skate park because I was afraid people were going to make fun of me for not being being able to do it good. And that literally (laughs) like that launch. Well, (laughs) yeah, to do the Ollie. But yeah. that exists in anything that anyone does. That fear of not being good enough or not being accepted. But it's a little gnarlier when it's your identity. Yes. Or you playing out fantasies that are partially representative of who you are as a real person. Exactly. Which is so much about D&D. Like being closeted and experimenting with role-playing yeah. The, the thing you're closeted about, you know, it's like a, as long as the table's good, it's a safe space for you to explore what that feels like, you know? Yeah. Just I mean, e- even, even just performing in general, like people mm-hmm. with stage fright, I was terrified as a kid to read out loud in class. I would never in a million years think to, to play D and D like that, that would have caused me so much anxiety. Uh, yeah, for, for our listeners, Harwin Spinks used to be afraid of public of crowds. <laughs> Lordy. So, well, hey, you know what? Me too, though. Uh, recently gave a speech at a wedding. Uh, went through this whole thing of like realizing, holy shit, I actually really like speaking in front of people now. I used dude, to hate it. It's it fucking feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> You also gave a speech at a wedding. Two different I weddings. I did too. It felt Guys, fucking sick to have all those people looking at me. <laughs> this guy. Spotlights on me. Yeah. Literally. I just went to a series of weddings and there were many speeches <laughs> and many suits and uh, many foods. Anyways. So uh, some of the other people that I wanted to mention uh, in, involved in this sort of inclusivity involved who, who are making <laughs> D&D more inclusive is Abria Iyengar. She is another, she's a woman of color. She's an RPG performer and she's also a DM. Um, she was often, she's stated that she was often the only woman or person of color at the table. She faced a lot of other players questioning one, her knowledge of the game, uh, and also was dealt a lot of other overt harassment. Um, she now works to ensure her players don't have to face the same challenges. Yeah, she's Quote, badass. 
it wasn't really until streaming that I was like, oh, wow, this is what an all-female table feels like. This is what a queer table feels like. This is what a POC table feels like. Getting to live in the beauty of not having to be the token all the time was what really got me to stay. Mm. Um, Persephone Valentine is a trans woman cosplayer, TTRPG content creator, and Twitch streamer. Uh, who says streaming has helped her create a space away from a lot of the gatekeeping present in TTRPG community. She says she has gotten pushback from players who don't like the fact that a tabletop scene is becoming more diverse and inclusive and who are trying to exclude new voices and players. This is like when people got upset when the horizon zero dawn. Oh, had hair on her face. (laughs) This is what that is. This is the, this is those fucking people. Yes. 100%. These are those man child gamers. Those man-child incel fucking yeah. samurai sword wielding. Let fucks. the fans decide how big her ass should be. <laughs> She's fucking not fuckable enough. This is it's. Uh, I, I that's a whole episode. Sorry. Wait, yeah, but, but this also brings me to realizing, or well, I kind of knew this. I have a note that literally starts in all bold. With that being said. <laughs> Gary Gygax once told a reporter for Icon Magazine that, quote, gaming in general is a male thing. Everybody who's tried to design a game to interest uh, a large female audience has failed. And I think that has to do with the different thinking processes of men and women. So the guy so that the, made this thing God damn it. was a horrible misogynist, which I mean... This tale has been told a bajillion times at this point. Of course, but of course. Tolkien even gets this fucking, <laughs> or being racist, rather, that yeah. specific flack. Yeah, yeah, he was like anti-Semitic, right? Yeah, I, yes. But, um, so I, I, I couldn't not talk about inclusivity without talking about the history of it and, and how there are bad actors and misogynists that exist. When, but yeah, we are, right. it is being sort of reclaimed by... yes fucking people that live and play the goddamn game yeah it doesn't matter color creed gender sexuality <laughs> whatever just fucking play D because when it comes down to it you're gonna role play you're gonna you're not you don't even yourself like just inject yeah, it, inject yourself into the character you're playing and you're all existing within a separate world anyways well, a better it, world in most uh, cases yeah well and it also doesn't make any goddamn sense because this all of these stories D typically takes place in a fantasy realm where there's elves and warks <laughs> yeah. and gnomes and races literally races of species of different humanoid beings that literally are different colors and different genders or don't even have gender like it, it's just makes i tend no to God- gravitate towards the reptilian type <laughs> i'm just saying there's, i don't even like a, to play humanoid like like uh, i don't yeah. even want to be like a person who has like flesh i want scales <laughs> i want to be a rock monster yeah, take away my I, ding dong i'm t- <laughs> i want to be rock hard as a rock man <laughs> but not rock hard with like a penis no i don't penis. have a, i'm asexual but i'm rock hard always Honestly, i i want to play a character that didn't reproduce through sexual biological <laughs> means i want to be uh, formed from elemental material of atoms in a fucking time vortex I that's be what i want to be skywalker i want to be <laughs> fucking what are the what's the force molecules what are they called it's everything my, uh, doesn't matter doesn't matter midichlorians yes thank you there it is i want to be those i want to just play a giant uh obelisk 
a fucking uh, ward against doom. Yeah, yeah sure. Exactly. Just a big thing in the jungle. Whatever. So there were a few other people that I had some quotes from, uh, mainly Erica Ishii, who is, uh, I think she's Japanese. She's Asian American and she's also gay. And she said that uh, uh, she was able to essentially explore that part of herself, like what we said, in the characters that she played like playing gay characters while being like, Oh, just, it's just play guys mm-hmm. before we're being able to realize and feel safe to, to come out. Yeah. And that's, that's what awesome. I was talking about earlier. It's just like an amazing tool for that journey. I mean, another person that I really like as a player is Allie Beardsley, who is a, mm. she's transitioning. Um, and she, or they have played, uh, a church camp lesbian, a chaotic trans guy and a non non-binary Doberman pincher. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> the, the breadth of things you get to explore is just great. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, Oh, the last thing, uh, what, what now, right? Beyond, uh, is, uh, making this more accessible and these properties getting larger. We mentioned that Critical Role is fucking crazy earlier, and that is because they have accumulated more than 5 million views for some of, like, I think the first episode has 5 million views, and it's a three-hour-long video on YouTube. That is unheard of. Yeah, Uh, that's ridiculous. It's two years later. There's 114 episodes. Some episodes are three hours. Some are fucking six hours. Um, They've spun it off into a comic book, an art book, merchandise, and more recently, an animated series called The Legend of Vox Machina, which was crowd crowdfunded on Kickstarter in 2019, where it raised, I shit you not, $11.39 million, setting the record for the most highly funded film or TV project on the platform's history. D&D, baby. Um, it's also become, you know, a side gig that has resulted in more voice acting work for these people, the non-traditional media aspect, uh, people straight up call the, uh, cast of critical role for jobs rather than them having to go audition now. Um, and it's, it's just, it's really great. It's, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I can't talk more highly about D and D and any of these shows and any of the performers, um it's independent comedy if you're anti-capitalist like we are (laughs) and see sort of and see sort of late stage capitalism kind of the wave of it crashing over society go support independent shit stop watching fucking transformers like stop giving these people money um go find independent productions of things that are fun and new and creative and fresh and it's something you can be a part of too yeah that's the best part too it's not a passive thing yeah or it, so, it, it can be it can be passive if you want to yeah you, you again you don't have to but that's <laughs> that's the thing though it, it's literally you can find exactly the lane that you want to be in and in so many different ways throughout this universe of content it's insane yeah yeah um it's a beautiful thing uh, Oh, uh, Hasbro Field Wizards of the Coast had passed $1 billion in sales for the first time in 2021. Lordy. Um, oh, they also attributed those numbers to the surge in, uh, uh, in live play and actual play broadcasts like what we've been talking about. So, go watch some D&D. Uh, I don't think this episode requires the usual sign-off. I, I don't think it really does. 
Um, I think it should be. I I how else. about this? How about this? Maybe we'll drop a little a little hint here, a little nugget that there might be one day, hopefully sooner than later, our own D and D actual play. <gasps> <gasps> Now let us know in the comments if you've watched this far, if you'd enjoy that, and if you would like to see that. Uh, we'll probably do it anyway, but yeah, stick around <laughs> and roll for initiative.